Welcome back to another Untitled Movie Review. I am one of your hosts, Matt Rohrbeck, alongside my BFCA buddy. Oh my god, that's not even the right intro. He's allergic to tomatoes, but he's <laughs> tomato meter approved. Eric Marchin. That's the first of many, many mistakes we'll probably make during this review of the trial of the Chicago rusty, 7. A little rusty. Uh, how you doing, buddy? You know, I, I was lulled into this today, Matt. Uh, as we're recording this, this is a Wednesday. I, I usually write reviews, one of which is for the trial of the Chicago 7. Um, so fresh so on your mind then. Fresh fresh on the mind and fresh on the page as I, uh, I took notes when I originally watched it and I have it by my side because I've since – Having watched this movie, I've watched, I think, at least 25 documentaries. So, you know, there's a lot going on in the brain. But on top of that, I thought this was a review for Hubie Halloween. Yeah, basically the same movie, both Netflix originals. So, uh, yeah, today we are reviewing Aaron Sorkin's uh, The Trial of the Chicago 7, which will be streaming on Netflix on um, this Friday, October the 16th. It is now playing in select cinemas. Uh, if they are open in your area, which uh, in many places they are closed again. So <laughs> probably don't go to the cinema and just wait until Friday to watch this at home. It is starring Yaya Abdul-Mateen II, Sasha Baron Cohen, Daniel Flaherty, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Michael Keaton, Frank Langella, John Carroll Lynch, Eddie Redmayne, Noah Robbins, Mark Rylance, uh, Alex Sharp, and Jeremy Strong. Uh, Eric, Trial of the Chicago 7. Uh, I mean, a lot of people probably know this story, but what's the movie about? Yeah, yeah. So uh, this is, uh, as you mentioned, it has an all-star cast. Um, public uh, protest and freedom of speech are on trial in writer-director Aaron Sorkin's uh, courtroom drama um, slash, you know, coming around the time of the election. So it's a perfect, you know, political movie and awards baity film and it depicts one of the longest um uh going courtroom trials in american history that was very pivotal in looking at um you know america's change in um you know culture from democratic democrats to republicans into the richard nixon administration and how one attorney general to another was so pissed off that basically he decided to make an example of a combination of hippies and quote unquote radical lefts by putting this group of seven on trial, many of whom don't even know each other other than that they were at this protest in 1968. The trial itself takes place the year after in 1969 and as again, you have uh, a, a group of unusual suspects ranging from Sasha Baron Cohen's Abby Hoffman to Eddie Redmayne's Tom Hayden. Uh, you have uh, the defense lawyers, one of which is played by Mark Rylance in a really weird looking wig. Um, you have sort of the um, attorney general's appointed uh team which is being led by joseph gordon levitt who's made a bit of a comeback this year with yeah 70, he's popping up everywhere and, and, and uh, uh every streaming powerpoint platform. but power project um so yeah it's- yeah two two netflix films and amazon film i think he popped up in something else recently too didn't he or is it just those i don't know but yeah but anyways he's back jgl is back and he's bigger than ever um yeah, so this is this movie basically is a film that focuses on performance and as you would also expect, you know, 
being Sorkin as a writer, you know, long monologues and speechifying about the constitution and law and what's right and what's wrong. There are some scenes that work much better than others. The ones that don't kind of have that, you know, almost not even just awards baity feel, but kind of almost hallmarky kind of like, you know, almost satire, (laughs) satire. Like this is America. And like, this is like, you know, a, a, a pivotal moment in, in sort of the, the changing of the guard and also the idea that, um, you know, we have to stand for what's right. And, and as you mentioned with the word satire, I mean, it plays out like any kind of, you know, big Hollywood version of a political film. And it's just laid on thick, Matt, just completely oh, real thick, <laughs> just, especially the real end, thick. the last, the last 10 minutes just of the like, movie are just ridiculous. like Mark Rylance's wig, very thick. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I think it's a perfectly watchable movie uh, to start with a compliment. Like, um, I love Sorkin. I think he's a great writer. Um, I just, I like Sorkin when he's paired with a very talented um, stylistic or auteur director. Like when he's worked with Fincher and when he worked with Bennett Miller and like w- worked with great filmmakers. I feel like it doesn't necessarily elevate his material, but you know, it, it makes a great team. But when you get full Sorkin, I just feel like that's when it kind of snowballs and gets a little bit at a hand. And um, it's very performance driven because obviously it focused on the dialogue. And I just, when you brought this up when we were talking off uh, offline too, of like some of the scenes when it comes to the rioting actually in Chicago and things like that, like there's just something off with him, his directing style. And, and I feel like that really comes through near the end of the movie. And some of that stuff you're talking about, uh, not only in the rioting scenes, but just how the movie kind of culminates to its final kind of, you know, climax and the message it's trying to send. It just ends up being, like you said, this really kind of corny, like America, like uh, this movie's being made in 2020. It's coming out right before the election. Let's make a statement. And, and it's just got this soaring music and it's almost laughable by the end of it. Um, that being said, like I mildly enjoyed most of it. I like some of the performances. Um, I really like Sasha Baron Cohen. Um, I, I, I thought he's fantastic. Uh, Mark Rylance, another guy that um, is always good in everything that he pops up in. Uh, Yaya Abdul-Mateen, I thought was great in the small role that, um, that he's in as well. So there are a few standouts. I still don't like Eddie Redmayne at all. We're going to go to Chicago and we're going to like, uh, it's just like, With his I, weird I can't, accent. yeah, he all, I don't know. I can't deal with that guy, but, um, to me, it just falls apart a little bit by the end. And and I think the courtroom stuff is captivating enough because I think of the performances and I think the writing is strong at times um, that Sorkin can make a courtroom um, fairly, you know, entertaining to watch um, because you have these great actors kind of bouncing off of each other with some solid dialogue at times. It's just when the movie becomes this conventional kind of awards baity movie um, is when the movie kind of just, it's not doing anything, you know, interesting or different or new. It's just your pretty standard by the books courtroom drama that is, you know, 
everyone has their Oscar scene, whether it's, you know, Frank Langella or oh, Eddie God. Redmayne or, or, or like it's, and it's all a little eye rolly just by the end. Like, I know this is a true story. I know this has happened. It's an important thing of history. And a lot of this stuff is documented and you know what exactly happened in that courtroom, but the way that it's like played up for, you know, cinematic effect right like the artistic liberties they probably take with some of the stuff is that stuff that just ends up being really kind of corny or eye-rolly or you're like is that really how this guy act like is franklin geller like a james bond villain or is he a fucking like uh, like it's just i don't oh, know he should have just, a mustache yes he should be twirling a mustache in it it's just like it's it's so over the top and, and just so cringy at times because it just feels like it's so, like you said, laid on so thick that you just kind of go, you kind of groan. And there are times though, where you're like, oh man, these are some great actors and these are legitimately great scenes, but then it's always undercut by kind of this bullshit, you know, paint by numbers, connect the dots, courtroom drama awards movie. And, and it is one of those movies that you just know is going to do so well, especially in a weak year. It's that perfect. I tweeted this, this perfect storm of just, very competent not i don't want to use the term mediocre but kind of just mediocre filmmaking that just kind of hits all the beats that it needs to hit and has those kind of like uh, hurrah moments by the end that you're like oh people are going to eat this shit up and it's i don't want to say like it sounds pretentious when you're like oh these morons are gonna just eat this shit up but like it's just it's that i don't know it's that perfect oscar Beatty movie that is going to work on a lot of people and um, it just made me kind of go ugh by the end of it. I don't know. Yeah, and it, it's playing to the choir in a lot of ways as well. Like it's it's you know the people that are going to love it will eat it up with a with a spoon and and just kind of kind of dive into it. But I, I mean the thing that that bothers me the most with this movie there there's a couple things, but the first one is just from a narrative structure point of view. I mean, yeah, you mentioned, you know, Aaron Sorkin is this great writer who started with, you know, television with the West wing and the newsroom and, and sports night and stuff like that. And he is a, he is a good writer. I, I, I think my biggest criticism with his writing is that everybody sounds the same for the most sure, part. Yeah. In his I can, movies. I can understand that, but here I will give him credit that, and I think performance is performances are again, key to this where it, it does feel like those speeches and monologues do feel like, like for the most part, they are coming from each individual actor and they're not trying to, you know, speed up the dialogue or, you know, act in that sort of uh, rat-a-tat kind of, you know, monologuing in the way that, you know, you've seen it before. But it almost made me weirdly appreciate Molly's game a little bit more because yeah. that felt more modest in a weird way, even though there are problems with that film as well. But at least that movie wasn't like trying to be like, this is going to be, you know, this big awards contender. And this film has been in development for years. Like at one point Spielberg was going to direct this film back in 2006 as his follow-up to Munich. And, you know, that never came to be. And then Paul Greengrass at one point was going to direct a version and, you know, so on and so forth. So it's been in the making for, you know, a while now and DreamWorks, you know, still has a, a, a logo and credit on the film because it was originally a Paramount movie that Paramount sold to Netflix. Um, but narratively speaking, I think it's a very strange movie because it's like, whose point of view is this from about halfway through the movie? We get scenes with Sasha Baron Cohen's uh, Abby Hoffman doing a standup yeah. routine and sort of giving the audience a detailed account of 
the trial and the case. And then we keep cutting back to other people and their points of view. And then there's this whole section of like finding out that there were undercover cops during the uh, protest and convention rallies that were kind of going undercover. And then we're cutting into their sort of part of the story. So it's, it's very disjointed in a lot of ways and sort of focusing on like, whose perspective we're really looking at and what's the story sort of ultimately Mm -hmm. sort of setting on. And then, as you mentioned with the eye rolling thing, there are lines in this movie that are just so, you know, on the nose. Like there's one specifically that I keep thinking about and I wrote it down and I want to repeat it. It's a scene where we're first introduced to Joseph Gordon-Levitt's lawyer who's appointed by the uh, new attorney general to sort of basically take on this bogus case and it's a line that the secretary gives as we see the taking down of uh, president lyndon b johnson's um uh portrait and the uh posting of uh nixon and the secretary says you've arrived at a moment in history and joseph gordon levitt's character at this point is kind of spacing out and kind of like oh pardon and she's like you know, points to the, the the changing of the portraits, and it's like, come on, really? Are we? Are, are is this the kind of like on the nose filmmaking we're going for here? That it's just and it's it is. so <laughs> obvious. It is, yeah. and and like you mentioned, like Lingella, I think is so cartoonish and over the top. Um, I think Redmayne is probably the worst of the seven, um, especially with that weird repressed accent. Um, but a lot, but again, like a lot of the cast is good. I think, you know, like Mark Rylance is actually quite solid minus the wig. Yeah. Um, and Keaton I also like, is great in the scene. Yeah. 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 So we'll, we'll talk yeah. about him in a second, but <laughs> I also really like John Carl Lynch as well. Who's doing yeah. good character work. And like, he's, he's somebody Which is that what is he's always, known for, right? Yeah. Like, you know, he comes in, he does the job. And it's not showy, even if the role is a bigger role. And it's nice to see him get a role that's kind of, you know, memorable. I mean, I think the last kind of big role that he had was obviously, you know, the Zodiac killer in in Fincher's Zodiac, um, you know, tying it all back to Fincher and Sorkin. But yeah, I think the best scene in this movie is the one that features um, Michael Keaton in the courtroom, but even Michael Keaton, you know, at his home, he's playing the former attorney general, Ramsey Clark, who was working for the Kennedys and then uh, Lyndon B. Johnson, um, who retires as, or, or basically, you know, puts in his papers as the new attorney general is coming in. And this kind of pisses off, uh, the new guard. Um, so he basically becomes the star witness in this, uh, trial. And what you have is a scene of Keaton giving you, you know, dry, but very kind of thoughtful exposition into what is going on and what this case really is all about. And just the way that he kind of like, you know, gets up, and, uh, you know, off the, uh, the, the, the bench on the seats and kind of moves into the main courtroom and then gets up on the, on the main chair or, you know, just after the actual conversation that he has and monologue he has, and, you know, he, he moves over to Mark Rylance and kind of turns over and whispers in his ear, just, you know, work on the appeals. You know, he comes in, he's out, he, he's only in maybe about like five, ten minutes of the movie at the max, yeah. but he is amazing in the film. And it just oh, doesn't even matter yeah. that, you know, he lost to Eddie Redmayne, <laughs> Eddie Redmayne you know, from yeah. Birdman to Theory of Everything. So, like... 
yeah, so this movie, it has its moments, and I think it's mostly because of the cast and the courtroom sort of drama specifically. But anytime it does the the sort of cross-cutting flashbacks or anything to do with kind of the confusing narrative, it's like, okay, whose story is this? Why is it being told in this kind of way? And Sorkin is a good enough writer that he knows what he's doing when he's handling ensembles sort of talking in a room. I mean, that's his bread and butter. And to me, it feels like maybe he wasn't necessarily the best choice for this film. And especially when you think of like, you know, if Spielberg would have directed this, there would have been that smalty Americana in the film as well. But I think he would have handled it in a more kind of dignified, but also just, a less kind of ham-fisted manner. Like it would yeah. have been emotional to the point where you could kind of maybe forgive some of that. Like, Oh God, like why are there like 30 pages of text at the end, you know, credits and I exaggerate yeah. 30 pages, but like there's a lot of text at the end. So you know that this is, you know, based on a true story and this is so important to sort of what is reflecting on what's going on With right the now. The rousing music and the final statement. Like, yeah, it, it's the last I think the last 10 to 15 minutes of the movie are horrible. And then I think the movie's a mixed bag, um, you know, before that. Like, I I, I think it's perfectly watchable. Um, Again, I think I I agree with you that I think it works in the courtroom scenes for the most part, even if, like, Frank Langella is absolutely the hammiest, like, (laughs) that you've ever seen. Oh, yeah. Um, But... I really do like some of those scenes in in the courtroom, and I felt like it was captivating enough to you know keep my interest. And I I don't know if I was necessarily confused on whose perspective it was, but maybe it was just because I didn't really care. Um, I do agree with you that it is a little strange to have um, Abby telling the like kind of doing a stand up routine that's sort of telling the events of the movie but isn't sort of telling the events of the movie or not of the movie, sorry, of the, you know, the riots and things like that. And, and well, even, even going, the, so. the trial itself, like you have, you have, okay. So you have this, the, the, the beginning of the movie is also an info dump where you're introduced to all the characters. There's a ton of text and sort of who they are, what groups they're affiliated with and sort of what led up to the events. We're going to be then going you, to Chicago and we're going to be going there anywhere you want. Yeah, and then you have the trial, but then you also have flashbacks to the protest and how things got out of hand and how police brutality plays this major role. And that's intercut throughout the the actual trial itself. And then in that, you have, you know, uh, Abby Hoffman's stand-up routine. And then also you have certain cutaways to... Bobby Seal, you know, who's one yeah. of the chairman of the Black Panthers and has sort of Oh right. That's a whole subplot that we right. really and, touched and, and on, that's yeah. important to talk about as well because he's somebody that is also, you know, um oh, being God, that investigated. Him, yeah, but but that that's yeah. also I mean, like that's a fascinating sure kind of like where yeah. does that belong? Because it's like is so are we now on like his point of view only and like his stuff with Fred Hampton, who's played by uh Calvin Harrison Jr. Jr. Yeah, uh yeah. for a little bit. So like it's 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 just strange and sort of how this movie is kind of you know structured overall and like what you know point of view or if there is a point of view um to take and like why would you introduce all this strange framing uh these these framing devices or or you know perspectives if you don't 
really, you know, focus on one character or one situation. It should have been more insular and more sort of just in the courtroom and in the moment. Um, yeah, that's it, what I would have preferred to, because we kind of all know why they're there. And like, we understand what happened. I don't know if you necessarily like, there's a big revelation later in the movie based on, you know, a tape that comes out. That's just kind of, again, all of this stuff, I guess happened, but I just feel like the way that it's portrayed to us just feels like very like phony. And I'm just like, I, I don't know, or just, or it, they are taking certain artistic, you know, liberties and how it's presented to us in the way to make it, you know, this, this schmaltzy, like you said, or, or not even schmaltzy, but like this Oscar Beatty, like important, important movie. And it, I think it is a very important case and a, obviously a very, uh, like a, something like you said, has been tried to get made into a movie for a very long time. It's just kind of unfortunate how it all came together. Like, I don't hate the movie either. Like I probably sound more negative than I actually am. Like I, I thought, again, I thought it was like mostly enjoyable. I just felt like it was pretty rough in spots and like it, it had all the potential there to be something um, with a great cast. And, um, and there are some nuggets of, you know, brilliance in there, but um, yeah, I just, I really think, I don't love Sorkin, the director. I, I do really enjoy Sorkin, the writer. And um, I just feel like this movie even could have been, you know, elevated a little bit if he was partnered with someone who maybe had a little bit more experience with direct directing and like can kind of rein in his, his dialogue and his, his stuff and try to, you know, balance that with some of that other th- storytelling and, uh, and, and things like that. Cause I think his bread and butter is dialogue specifically, um, not necessarily storytelling even. Right. But, um, yeah. he can be a good storyteller, but I just think, yeah, it, you need a team for that and full Sorkin just, uh, it seems like it's not really my thing. Um, so yeah, I think it's okay. I, I think I'm going to give it a three, uh, like a soft three. Um, because I, I do think it's, totally okay but i don't think it's anything more than that yeah i'll also give it a three and and i also sounded more critical than you know than a three star but it's it's fine for what it is i understand what it's doing and i think like again like it's it's message even though it's muddled structurally and kind of you know wrapped in this sort of gauzy packaging of, you know, give us all the awards right now because we have the yeah. film that's the most, you know, begging uh, you. Palatable. It's begging you to vote yeah. for it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Vote for me, please. Um like I do appreciate a film that reminds you of like how horrible and I mean there are many movies that you could watch that are better than this about how horrible Vietnam was and, you know, um the whole draft specifically but even that message does get lost in the mix of it all kind of yeah yeah and it feels like at the end they kind of like tack on this really horrible ending and having again eddie redmayne delivering sort of like the last kind of big speech it's like oh man i yeah i'm not a fan of eddie redmayne no i'm not either and i just uh yeah, we could go into more. There's more elements with his character and just the way that everything is played up is just played up a little bit too much. And well, especially like, him and his kind of conflict with, with, with yeah, Sasha Baron Cohen and sort of like how you have two people on the same side, but the idea that one is, you know, more sort of radicalized, quote unquote, than the other and one sort of wants to get results this way and the other one wants to get it this way and 
you know, like they criticize like each not, other. Him standing up for the judge and how that all comes back. Like it's yeah. all just feels very kind of, it's all so overdone. Um, but there are Keaton, Rylance, Sasha Baron Cohen. I like Jeremy Strong as a hippie too. Um, he's Even fine. though he's very cartoonish um, in that role. Yes, like. I agree with that. But at least that I, I was able to laugh at him. Um, like he would be anyway. a Kramer or something on like, you know, a sitcom. If it was a sitcom sure. version of the trial, of the Chicago seven, like he felt yeah. like he was very much of like the kind of like the, the punchline character for a lot of uh, the film. I'd um, agree with that. Yeah. Um, but pretty middle of the road and I'm sure we'll hear about it a lot over the next couple months. So, Oh yeah. <laughs> and then we'll it like is. it even less. Yeah. Uh, thank you all for listening. Um, if you like this, we have uh, some more reviews that we would love for you guys to check out right now. Um, tons of content that's dropping on streaming services and, and digitally and some in theaters, but we don't necessarily suggest you go do that. Um, uh, we got reviews right now for black bear, which is a film we saw at Cinefest Sudbury and is playing a couple other film festivals around right now. Uh, we have a review for the 40 year old version. Uh, Dick Johnson is dead possessor console wars. My Salinger year undine and Nola Holmes Kajillionaire, the nest, a lot of stuff that came out, uh, late September and in to October. So go check all those out. Uh, we'd love for you guys to go check out and subscribe to, uh, the untitled movie podcast. Our 77th draft, uh, is up right now for you guys to listen to, um, as well as untitled movie conversations, uh, which is a new show we launched, uh, unfortunately right before festival season. So we've kind of been on a little bit of hiatus, uh, but we're trying to get the ball rolling on that as well. But we'd love for you guys to check out those, uh, first couple episodes we did with, uh, Peter Kaplowski, um, um, Jay oh my Wadley. God, blanking. Jay Wadley, Sarah Van Lang. Uh, Sarah Van Lang. Sorry. Thank you, Eric. <laughs> my no brain problem. is fried. Um, so go check those out. And uh, we hope to have a new episode of conversation soon. Uh, if you have a couple seconds, uh, we'd love for you guys to rate or review um, that trilogy of podcasts on your favorite podcast service. We really appreciate that. And to follow us on all those social medias at untitled underscore cast. Um, as always, my name is Matt Rohrbeck. You can find more of my work uh, right here at untitledmoviepodcast.com and around the internet on all of those social medias uh, at Matt Rohrbeck. I'm usually bumming around Letterboxd and Twitter. And I'm Eric March, and you can find more of my video reviews at rogerstv.com slash cinemascene and on social medias at EM6211. Until next time. The whole world is watching. We're going to Chicago. We're going to end this podcast right now. <laughs>